So thank you all for uh, being here tonight. It's very lovely to share this quiet time together and now to share some talking time together. Um, And I'll begin with that. Um, I'd like to explore a little bit tonight what um, this very rich subject of our emotions and our emotional life and how our meditation practice works with that, how those work together. Um, it's, it's, um, it, it's, it's perhaps the area where we can most uh, connect directly in our lives and see how, how our meditation practice works with our emotions. Our emotions are where we interact with others. We, we also have interactions with ourselves emotionally too, but uh, it's a, a, a very rich and big area in our lives. Of course, our meditation practice are particularly in the way the tools and techniques we have in this tradition and this lineage, um, Theravadan, um, Vipassana, we, we can connect with anything. There's no domain uh, that's outside of us as humans that, that, that the meditation can't inform, can't help us with in a sense. But the emotions are a very rich one and they're one that I find that, um, that people are, they have a lot of juice, so people are interested in, in how and in how that works. Uh, so just because of our, just because of the, our cultural conditioning, um, we tend to cut ourselves off from ourselves. We tend to kind of have this mindset that looks at experience as being kind of discrete bits. Uh, you know, there's this and that, and then there's the other thing. And so we, we kind of don't see ourselves as a whole. And that's one thing that, I see meditation practice does for us. It, it allows us to see our wholeness. It allows us to integrate ourselves. Uh, and I think we can really focus in on this in the, in the domain of emotions. So it's, it's partly our culture and it's partly because... Um, because as human beings, we're very complex creatures. We have a lot of things that are going on, and a lot of things, of course, in our, in our autotomic nervous system that goes on automatically and that we fortunately don't have to think about, like our heart beating. And uh, We get a t- chance just to taste that in meditation when we focus on our breath, which, of course, we do to help integrate us, to bring us to a place where we can see clearly but um, but mostly a lot is going on, and we I think I have the sense from my personal experience is that we kind of get lost in it. Uh, we um, because we're so complex, we often don't know where we are in <laughs> in a general sense, and even even sometimes we don't know what we're doing, and even sometimes who we are, which can be a good thing and 
on occasion um, and not but um, but especially in about our emotions that can be uh, that can be tricky when we don't know where we are with our emotions and what's happening with our emotions and and the practice of meditation can really help us tune in to what is going on. Um, you know, just simply sitting down with no other aim than to be aware of what is going on as it flows through moment by moment allows us to tune into these things. It allows us to get to know ourselves, really. In a way, one uh, one can look at meditation practice as a practice of getting to know ourselves. And in fact... You know, this is a famous way that Buddhists look at meditation practice. Zen Master Dogen has this wonderful, um, famous koan, the the Genjo koan, which he begins with, um, to follow the Buddha way is to study the self. To study the self is to forget the self. When the self is forgotten one is enlightened by all beings. And there are various translations of that, but that's uh, a pretty succinct and uh, radical statement in a way that encapsulates uh, what, what a lot of this project is of meditation. Perhaps that's you know, a little bit of an ambitious word, a project, but, but nonetheless, we do bring our efforts and our intentions to being here tonight and to whatever other explorations we're undertaking through meditation. Um, so we are, we are taking it on, in a way. And getting to know ourselves. There's a little bit of a paradox here, um, because... Buddhism also holds the view that there is no self. You, you may have heard of that. Um, so how, how are we going to study a self when we don't really have a self to study? And how are we going to find our emotions in that self that isn't there? So um, it's a paradox. Um, and it's... It's not just Buddhism. Any, any field of, um, any area that takes inquiry, philosophy, uh, religion, or science, comes up against paradoxes. Paradoxes are part of just looking a little more deeply about what, at what's going on in the world. But as far as the self, beyond the field of the self and beyond the field of the no-self, there's a kind of a reality where both are held together. And that is what I think Zen Master Dogen is pointing to about studying the self and forgetting the self. Because, of course, we have a self. We're all here with these various selves. There's, uh, and that's, that's very true. Uh, it's just that we, down to, down to the minutest DNA particles we have. I mean, I am Carolyn, I am not Lewis. You know, we're, we're just, we are all ourselves and uh, all unique, completely unique and individual. And in fact, won't be repeated as far as, anyway, the, the, uh, the kind of speculations I've read about, um, kind of in lay popular science reading, 
we are unique and we won't be repeated. But we, but because of that a lot, we forget that we are also much larger than just this self that's Carolyn or Lewis or Patty, whomever. Um, so, and that's a self that we can tune into and get a sense of in, um, in meditation practice. So our emotions are dealt with at length in Buddhism. There's a whole series of volumes called the Abhidharma, which is the Buddhist psychology, which goes through various psychological and emotional states, what we could call emotional states. Um, and some of the, there are many lists, as you're probably aware, if you've been hanging out with Gil, who's an expert in many facets of Buddhism, uh, including the lists. Um, and often these lists are kind of the negative lists, so the Buddhists are very attracted a systematic kind of people, a science, kind of an inquiring kind of people. Uh, when things like the Abhidharma were written, which was after the time of the Buddha by uh, 500 years or so, but anyway, they codified things and they were very careful to you know write things down um, and memorize things so that they. They kind of made sense. So they grouped these lists together, and often the lists about our emotions or or kind of mental psychological states, is maybe another term we could use for them, um, are, are the negative ones. Because those are the ones that we tend to get stuck in, and those are the ones that we get swept away by. Um, but they're not... They also have lists of, of positive ones. Uh, and I'll just briefly touch on those. Um, some of you may have heard of these and others um, they may be a little new to you. Um, but um, the, the, the negative ones are like the big five which are called the hindrances are greed. It's like the, the desire kind of takes us over and we just get swept away by that or anger, um, which, of course, is everyone's favorite. That takes us to, you know, all the really difficult places with others uh, and even with ourselves. Um, then uh, dullness is one, is, is another one, which maybe that seems a little odd as an emotion, but it is a kind of a mental, physical state that leads us into, can, can lead us into things we could more readily, in Western terms, define as emotions like sadness or despair or or grief. And then there's restlessness, which also leads us into uh, that kind of jittery state, uh, that anxious kind of state of mind and body that also can lead us into um, various more extreme emotions. Then anger itself runs the whole gamut from, you know, slight irritation to full-blown murderous rage. Um, and then doubt, which can lead us also in uh, that kind of emotional state of despair or lack of confidence, um, things, qualities of this nature. Um, you know, I think we, the anger is so is so. People like to focus on that because that we all have some sense of experience of the the range. We're more tuned into all the subtle states there was. We haven't looked as much, even not in a meditative way, but just to 
a way of being alive in the world, of just being a human being. We haven't looked at as much at, at the other uh, emotions, perhaps. Love would be another one on the positive side that we perhaps have more looked at. But with, uh, with anger, we see that uh, it, it's so direct in ourselves and the, 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 the relational quality is so direct. When we, we get angry and we can see how we hurt ourselves and others, and then that just, it's a chain reaction. Once we put that out there and express it, then the other or others often feed it back and then we feed back. And I mean, this, this is like this negative feedback loop that goes on in human beings up to war, uh, which is, you know, a condition that we've seen a lot of in the 20th century. And we're seeing it again in the 21st century, just at the beginning. Um, but it's not just the negative emotions. There are also positive emotions, and we can get we can get stuck and swept away by those too, by uh, by joy or even uh, empathy, over empathizing with people, or and so that our that actually our sense of ourselves gets kind of dissolved or not uh, or not solidified and and strengthened. Uh, and then there are maybe the more refined emotions, which Buddhism, um, which Buddhism classes as the states of the highest human uh, dwellings or abodes, the, the godlike dwellings, which are uh, the Brahma Viharas, uh, loving kindness, metta, and compassion, karuna, and joy in others' good fortune and, and happiness, joy in others' happiness. Um, mudita and equanimity, a kind of uh, a wis- an, uh, an emotional correlate of wisdom, of knowing that all things are as they are and being able to be with that, being equanimous, being in a state, it's kind of the opposite of many emotional states, being in a state where we are really stable and solid and know we're not going to be blown away or swept away or blow up. Um, and then there are the emotions that we all know that aren't in any Buddhist list that I know of, but I, I am not an expert, so they might well appear somewhere. But I mean the things that we commonly call emotions, sadness and grief, despair, triumph, elation, envy, jealousy, and affectual love, the love we feel for our mates, our children, our families, the ones that are near and dear to us. So all of these things are emotions. We, we, we really have a very rich emotional life. And um, our meditation practice can, can tune us into the range of that richness, the subtleties and the big things. Um, I think it's... it's I want to emphasize that it's um, it's very important to remember in in meditation practice that we do not deny any emotions or repress any emotions, but that doesn't mean that we give expressive range to the emotions, uh, and that's part of the 
the way that slowing down and stilling, uh, just as we did tonight, developing that habit of mind and body can help us with understand within each one of ourselves where that point of wisdom is, where we're not denying, but we're not just acting out and expressing. Because sometimes people have a are, are confused about that. Um, so, to just give some um, some ways which I've found, and others have found that we can kind of techniques, as it were, tools uh, within our meditation to help us tune in to this range of emotions, how to be with them, how to uh, delight in them, how to see when they're useful and see when we might make choices when they aren't as useful. Um, So one thing about emotions, in in fact, what is a commonality of uh, defining emotions is no matter what side of the range they're on from uh, the highest kind of love that we can feel for others, for example, or or for ourselves, uh, to rage... Um, is that they are felt both in the body and the mind. They carry a charge in both places. So when we can be aware of them without being overwhelmed, that's when they can help integrate us and unify us so that our minds and bodies aren't split, which is so often the way we walk around in the world. Uh, they, They... are present in the whole mind-body continuum. And we, we know that, uh, you know, at some level, although we may not, you know, have the words to express it, but, but the meditation practice helps us find that language, helps us, re- because of our own experience, we really see, oh, I feel it in my mind and my body. That's fr- the emotions, is that word is from the Latin, e is for out, uh, the, the prefix, and movere, uh, motion, motion. And emotions want to go out. They want to be expressed. Um, They carry stronger charges than thoughts ordinarily do. You know, also when we start to tune, when we start to practice meditation and tune in, we we kind of quickly see that our thoughts are really insubstantial. And we already have a sense of that even before we've ever meditated, that our thoughts are... They're, just, they're kind of up there and we can kind of ignore them. Even though uh, thoughts and ideas ha- are very powerful and, and that's a whole different talk on another subject. But, um, but we do have kind of a sense that that's just kind of the st- story that's passing through. And likewise in the body, the body has very strong sensations and we do respect that and we react to that often and act within that. But we also often override the body. Oh, we feel that pain or oh, we feel that. But um, a lot of times emotions, we just feel them in the body. We think they're body sensations and it's and it, meditation can help us see that actually there's a thought an idea and a story behind that body sensation. Uh, and that's very f- freeing. That can really uh, open us to, uh, to new possibilities. Because the emotions actually do move us, particularly when they're unconscious, when they're unexamined and we don't understand what's going on. 
You know, the TV and the newspapers are filled every day with stories of road rage and murders. And they're also filled with stories of rescues and people opening their homes to to fire victims and you know many the whole range of human emotions they they go on they are expressed they are the stuff of our stories of our lives as humans from a meditative point of view i think the the very interesting moment in the life of the emotion is when we see what the story behind the body sensation is and when we see we are not the emotion that we don't have to be identified with it and therefore swept away by it or caught up in it or stuck in it. And of course, this takes some practice. And um, the practice is mindfulness. And that's just being aware again of what's going on when it's going on, as it's going on. And this sitting down and stilling Uh, helps us develop that quality of mindfulness. But that mindfulness goes on all the time in our daily lives. We just tune into it. And the practice of stilling and being quiet helps us tune into it. But it's always available to us. Um, And that's particularly wonderful and a great refuge to remember. Um, We can have that even when we're in the midst of a difficult moment with our boss or our mate or whatever, our kid. Um, You can always tune into that. Tune into the mindfulness. What is going on right now? What do I feel? What's behind that feeling, if anything? We We can learn to work with our emotions in this way instead of sort of being in their grip. So I think each of us will find ways within our own practice as just as we're each unique individuals, each of us brings our own constellation of mind-body experiences and emotions and, and we'll find a way to work with them. But in general, um, we have some basic tools within the meditation which are recognition, recognizing that there is feeling in the body and that there is a story behind it and that constellation is presenting an emotion to us, recognition, and accepting that. That's a key thing. And that's where people, what I alluded to earlier, people think, oh, you're just denying emotion when you meditate. But no, you, you really feel it fully, but that doesn't mean that you have to express it, you accept it. This is anger. This is what anger feels like. This is it. I know it. I recognize it and I accept that I am feeling angry, for example. And then inquiry. What is what is this? What is going on? What is underneath this perhaps? Or just an openness, what is this? Not necessarily looking that there might be something, but just opening to as much as we can the fullness of that emotion that we that we know is anger or joy. What is that? How is it feeling? Is it moving through? Is it is it getting stuck? 
allowing ourselves just to say simply, what is this? Bringing our natural curiosity to this inquiry. And then not holding on, not holding on to the emotions. And of course, these tools are the same for any meditative moment, whether it's our thoughts or our breath. Um, You know, we can't really hold on to them because they're all moving through, but, but we think we can hold on to them. Somehow we've, we've convinced ourselves to believe that, um, especially about emotions. Um, and and thoughts, uh, thoughts I think we hold on to a lot less, but, but then where thoughts start a story and get our emotions involved, by thinking certain thought trains we can give rise to emotions. We can have them come so that we are, like then we're in the grip of the emotion. And it, we can say, oh, I was caught by the thought, but really the thought just gave rise to a bodily feeling and that made the cluster that was the emotion. As human beings, we are set up, we're structured to relate to the world through emotional filters. Um, but we just don't often recognize how many emotions we have and especially when we're having them. And, and the, the, uh, a difficult part is that we, th- we think that they're fixed, that we're it, that the, our emotions are us, and, and they're not really us. We characterize ourselves as an angry person or a sad person or a happy person even and just kind of try to crystallize ourselves around that. But, but even if we're basically happy, we're not always happy. And it's, uh, it's through knowing our emotions as they move through us that we know how to be in the world, how to act in the world wisely for ourselves and for others. We can see that we have emotional habits and patterns and we can also see that they're not fixed through meditation. Because the meditation practice, particularly in in the Buddhist tradition, is profoundly about non-fixity. It's profoundly about the possibility of transformation in every moment. And the tool, the main tool of that is, is a kind of an inquiry, is a kind of that stillness, that inquiry from the place of stillness that we call meditation. That's the primary tool for that. So, when we slow down in in the meditation and allow our our natural curiosity to arise, we all have that as human beings. It's it's the birthright of us all. It can be overlaid or squelched or many things can happen to it, but it's there as a basic, as a bedrock. Then we begin to recognize when we let this curiosity arise, particularly if we can do this in, from a still place to practice a bit, uh, we begin to recognize that emotions have colors and textures and flavors that we can sense in our bodies and in our minds. We find the different places that our emotions like to hang out. We can feel them energetically. Perhaps our anger 
And I'm using anger as a, you know, it's kind of an example just because so many people relate to that one. I've heard. Um, But it could be any emotion. So perhaps our anger is a slight tension in our cheeks. Or maybe it's just lockjaw. Maybe it's really tight. Maybe it's grinding our teeth. Or maybe it's a heat in the belly. Or it could be any other number of places or sensations that we feel anger. And it's different for different people. I mean, there are some kind of uh, folk wisdom and truisms, which are true for many people, too. Um, For example, um, you know, I saw red. People associate with seeing, with anger as seeing red. But for some people, they may see black or they may see yellow. I mean, so, uh, but, 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 but through our meditative practice, we have a felt sense of that. It's not just an, oh, I saw red. We actually see that color. We actually see it and feel it. And the texture, perhaps anger feels gritty for us. Or perhaps it feels rushing like a waterfall. So accepting our emotions through our meditation is, is, can be a powerful way to let them go. Because this meditative space is a refuge. It's a place where we can express them. And for many this means just a quiet place where others aren't present. Uh, and certainly the Buddha went off to the forest to meditate alone and he recommended that to his followers. His encounters with emotions are are in the language, uh, the mythological language of his meetings with Mara, who was the tempter or the sometimes it's called the devil or the evil one. But but you could see this figure, this many, many stories of Mara meeting uh, the Buddha, meeting up with him. And it's, what is Mara's greed? He's presenting these feasts to the Buddhas. And he's saying, okay, you can give up meditating now and eat something, you know. He's presenting these... Uh, harem of beautiful women you know you don't have to be an aesthetic and a renunciate you can have you can have sexual relations you know you can you can live this wonderful life or he's saying these people or he's presenting anger he's saying buddha look over your shoulder these people are trying to kill you you better turn around and defend yourself here's a sword you know he, so he's presenting these kind of emotions psychological emotional states that we all as humans have um, so, and I want to be clear that that this uh, breaking, you know, that this this kind of letting go that we can, this uh, deep acceptance we can come to in meditative practice, and therefore let go of some of the, our grip on our emotions, um, doesn't mean that we that we need to break down. Although it can mean that if you go on a meditation retreat, you find sometimes that people do cry. Um, they kind of release some of emotion that they're feeling, which because memories come up, uh, things come up, and in that kind of space, though, because such care has been taken to make that a refuge, a meditative retreat, um, and everyone is committed to letting everyone be in their place. We aren't looking at one another, and we're not, you know, asking one another what's going on. So if someone needs to cry, they just cry. Or if they need to leave the room and walk out in anger and punch the air when they take a walk or whatever they need to do, um, 
that can be a way of letting it go. It doesn't have to even be that dramatic. And I also want to be clear that meditation isn't the only way to um, to work with to work with emotions. And for many of us, it might be it might be wise and helpful to look at other therapies, to look at um, psychological therapies or other ways of dealing with emotion. But I do speak from personal experience that meditation practice itself is a very powerful way of looking at our emotions and letting go of the grip of some obsessive ones, as well as tuning us into the whole range of emotions that are that are li- that are our lives that are living with us every moment. So we can also feel our positive emotions more completely, and noticing, letting this inquiry come up once again. What is the love that we feel for our mate, our children? Where where does that reside? What where does that live in us? Where do we feel it? Is it only one feeling? Is it a mixture of feelings? Does it contract? Does it expand? Does it try to hold on? Does it have any other components of loss, of fear, or of empathy? Under what conditions does our anger arise, or our sadness, or our love for other creatures, for animals perhaps? And it may, we may find any number of things which are, which allow us to make choices to transform ourselves in that moment. And finally, through the meditation practice, we can also really have an experience of not holding on. As I said, it's impossible, it's all dissolving all the time anyway. We can't really hold on to it, but um, but through the meditation practice, we can bring a kind of clear understanding of the ephemerality of our emotions, and that just naturally lets us loosen our grip. So it may take some time, but um, but it's worth keeping on, keeping on, as. Um, As William Blake said in a short poem, he to himself who binds a joy does the winged life destroy, but he who kisses the joy as it flies lives in eternity's sunrise. So I thank you all very much for your attention and and I would be very happy to hear from you. if there's anything you want to say about emotions. Thank you. I'm sorry, they put on their, they put on what? Their, their beliefs upon women, which is caliph, and the caliph of women, which is death of them, by their beliefs. Which is not to say that men who have caliphs 
should thereby usurp death colony by usurpation, which makes it colony. Yeah, I, I don't know that term, um, Khalif and Khalif, but um, there's human beings put um, put a lot of belief systems on one another. I don't. Sometimes that comes from emotions. It's certainly given a lot of um, charge and and expression in the world once emotions come into it. Um, and it's also true that we live in a, time, in a historical time of um, what's generally called you know, a patriarchal system. Um, but the, um, the kind of the kind of openness that the meditation practice, can bring us to is that that we can see what our relationship is to all of that and see how we can act wisely to transform whatever system of oppression we might feel and whatever relations we might have with others. We, We can see where those places are, where we can move. And from a non reactive place. I think there's a difference in responding and reacting. I don't believe we do have to react. There is an there is a um, there is a kind of an instinct of survival that we have. That's true. That operates. Um, and that's that's as it is. Sometimes there are many. Buddhism, particularly, is full with many stories of uh, of how that seemingly very deep-seated, hardwired instinct for survival can also be transcended, and one can one can um, one can explore that also. I don't think it's unfortunate. I think it's fortunate that we have the capacity to respond and not react. That's also in the, I don't know a lot about this, but the little that I do know from friends who have fo- who follow this path, that's also the path of, um, of defense in the martial arts. It's a response, not, not a reaction. Yes, it's by William Blake, and it's He who kisses the joy as it flies lives in eternity's sunrise. But he to himself who binds a joy does the winged life destroy. And actually, I just recited it in the reverse order, but... uh, (laughs) So it's a little more... uh, Dramatic the other way, but. Uh, <laughs>
could also <laughs> serve the joy away in your kundalini energy. You're so usurped by many caliphs of men who create caliph for you. Yes. A, a metaphorical image of anger that I think I first heard within the last year attributed to Buddha, saying that um, to be taken by anger is like picking up a hot coal with the intention of tossing it at the object of your anger. And the very first thing that happens when you do that is you suffer. No. Oh, that's a beautiful. <laughs> that's a beautiful. Uh, Powerful image. It, it, and I've been, actually, it comes back to me on occasions when I'm in a situation where there's a lot of effort happening. It really seems to be the, to be true. If I if I get caught up in anger, it's a very suffering state. That's when you. Um, that's when you, when when one is aware of that. Unfortunately. It, it is true that people are not aware that they're that they're suffering, and and they they are suffering and causing their, themselves suffering and also causing others suffering. Um, but it takes some awareness to even tune in to that image. Still, it's a very powerful one. Um, as as uh, it. It reminds me of the first, uh, first, some of the first verses in the Dhammapada, which are that um, that hatred is never um, hatred never ends by hatred. Love alone can destroy hatred. It goes against the grain of much of our conditioning to look at that, to take that in. We tend to want to blame the other. We tend to want to keep um, to keep others apart from ourselves and blame them. But really, we're all in this together. When we talk about um, any kind of dualistic thinking, we tend to put ourselves and others as separate and not see our, our commonalities, which are actually much greater than our separatenesses and than our, than our differences. But of course, that is um, part of human nature too. And that is the undertaking that we're engaged on here, is to see another part of human nature, a deeper part of human nature. One that's not as easy to see, 
Of course, the Buddha famously um, said that this that this kind of way of looking at the world um, goes against the stream, and that's an image. I don't recall having heard this or seen this in Buddhist teaching, but um, but it always brings to me the salmon, you know, that that beautiful, powerful creature swimming up the stream. Um, that grace. Have you ever seen that? I haven't seen it in person, but in films. It's quite kind of inspiring, actually. So, shall we sit for one minute quietly? collect ourselves. 